Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I am one of the co-lead pastors here, and it is, as always, a delight to see each and every one of you. Um, I want to also welcome those of you who are watching on a live stream. I want to welcome you, and for those of you who are going to be watching and listening later in the week uh, through a podcast, I want to welcome you also. Um, Yeah, let's pray. Dear God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence in our lives. God, that uh, we are invited to know you and invited to be with you, invited to come sit at the table with you. God, what a great and and radically different privilege that is. Um, So I pray today we would embrace that. We would step into a deeper relationship with you, and I pray you would speak to us uh, in a way that, that you only can when we're gathered together here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm super excited this morning. We're starting a new sermon series entitled Impact of the Resurrection. We just came out of a fantastic Lenten season where uh, we were looking at this thing we called the Jesus Table. Uh, and this is a place where Jesus revealed a ton about himself and about the kingdom of God. We looked at a bunch of situations where Jesus was sitting at a table, eating with people, and all the things that happened, and not just what happened, but how uh, those things impact us, what did those things mean, uh, and how do they change the way we live. Um, I do want to just a quick reminder about Lent. The word means springtime, uh, and the image we often use here is of a seed that's planted in the dirt, that time where it's in the dirt, where it's growing, and it's kind of being pressed on, but it's shifting and changing, and it's making its way to break up through the surface into the light. That's Easter, but that time in the dirt, that's like what we consider Lent. It's this time of great growth and movement, uh, all moving towards uh, Jesus' resurrection on Easter. And so that's where we are now. We came out of Easter last Sunday. Rich challenged us in an amazing way to uh, be in awe of Jesus and the resurrection, to allow this, what he called the ripple effect, that the stone being thrown into the water is Jesus and the resurrection. There's this ripple effect that goes throughout time and allow that to move in us in such a way that we could be thankful and in awe of even our every breath, that every breath we take is a transforming agent that moves us into another moment with God. So we are invited to do that and then think about how different our lives and our world might be if we actually looked at life that way. And so we're coming out of that and we're going to begin this seven-week journey through some of the ways the resurrection has impacted our world. Now to start with, and Rich said this in the announcements, I want to give kind of a governing thought or a sort of umbrella statement that I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ impacts everything. That that ripple effect that Rich talked about, this wave that has been sent out from the resurrection, has and will reach every single thing. Every single thing that exists, everything that ever was, everything that is and ever will be, the resurrection has an impact on it. One of my favorite uh, people is a sociologist named Christina Cleveland, and she said this about Easter. This Sunday, Christians around the world will celebrate the resurrection, which marks the inauguration of a new reality. It's a new reality. It is the ethos, the environment that we live, move, and have our being in. And so having said all of that, within this new reality, there are seven things that we want to focus on specifically over these next seven weeks that we feel these these things the Holy Spirit has invited us to explore. And the first that we're going to look at today is that the resurrection means that we follow a person, 
not a doctrine or a theology or a set of rules, but we follow a living person. Then we're going to look at how the resurrection impacts how we live now. Later on in the series, we're going to talk about a future, uh, a future impact of the resurrection. But how does the resurrection impact us now and not necessarily only tied to that future impact? We're going to look at how the resurrection impacts our ideas of power and beauty. We're going to investigate how the resurrection impacts race and ethnicity. We're going to check and see that future uh, aspect of, of, of our lives that the resurrection impacts. And then we're going to look at how the resurrection impacts our understanding of missions. Then we're going to end our series with how the resurrection impacts the movement of the Holy Spirit as we celebrate Pentecost together. And so just in that, I'm super excited about this series and where God's going to lead us. But I do want to give you sort of a warning. During this series, you may feel challenged. You may feel encouraged or inspired. You may feel confronted or called out. You may feel pressed. You may feel freed or invited to step out in a new way. But all of these things are signs of the resurrection. This is what the resurrection of Jesus does. These are all parts of transformation. That's one of the highlights from Rich's sermon last week is that the resurrection is transforming. And so we're going to start today with what I think is an obvious one for a lot of us, but I think we, we sort of have lost the meaning of it, and that's that the resurrection means that we follow a person. Because Jesus is resurrected from the dead, meaning that Jesus, the person who died on the cross, didn't stay dead, but came back to life, not as a ghost, not as a spirit, but as a person with a physical body, a body that was hungry, a body that could touch and be touched, a body that could cook food for his friends. We follow a person, not a set of rules, not a doctrine, not a theology, but a person. Simply put, because Jesus Christ, the human being, was resurrected, raised from the dead, all of his followers have, are, and will be following a person. Now, it might make sense for us to think about this in, if, we, if we go back and look at the disciples and say, well, yeah, the disciples who were with him and walked the earth with him when he was here in that way that we could, like, get our hands on him, we could sit across the table and talk from him. And it, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, well, they followed a person. But usually when a person is following someone and that someone they're following dies, their following shifts. It shifts to to a mode where they're more following the ideas that that person had. They're more following the ways that that person lived or their teachings. Or maybe they're following uh, and moving and operating out of some stories that they've heard or some moments they shared with that person. And sometimes as Christians, we fall into that. We say we're followers of Jesus, but what we really mean is that we're followers of Jesus' teachings. Or that maybe we we follow the historical Jesus recorded in the Bible. And I want to be really clear that both of those are absolutely critically important. It's so important that we know and engage with the teachings of Jesus. And it's so important that we know, read, study, and engage with the Bible. But you can't have personal relationship with teachings or a book. Now, I just want a little side note here that one of the ways I've noticed this in my own life, in trying to gauge, am I, am I interacting with Jesus more as a person or more as kind of teachings and theology, is how I pray, right? Is my prayer sort of me sitting down with a list of things that I'm going to go through with uh, Jesus like I'm reporting in, and then do I just kind of peace out? Or do I leave space for Jesus to speak? Is there any, do I take a breath 
and what I'm saying to him to give him space. And I think most of us don't. And I was challenged as I was getting ready for this, and, and I saw something different in my own prayer this morning as I was going through this and getting ready uh, for this morning. I, I just said, okay, it's time to pray. So I just kind of opened my mouth and was like, let's see what comes out. And the word elevate came out, right? Jesus, elevate this time. Elevate what we're going to talk about. Elevate, lift up. God, you're the lifter of our head, right? And, and in the middle of it, I was starting to go into my mode where I'm going to just say a bunch of stuff. And I felt something in me go, just stop. Just stop. And so I stopped. And then I heard a voice. Um, and, and it was kind of one of those things where you hear it doesn't really, it's not an audible voice, but you can kind of put words to it. And the sense was God saying, I'm the one who can do what you've just asked. Right? Really simple. I can, yeah, I can elevate. I can lift things up. I'm the lift, right? And went through all the things I was going to say. Okay? And I said, okay, well, awesome. Can you do that? And, and the voice said, yeah, but I need you to do something. I need you to say something this morning. Right? And I need you all to listen. And I need you all to be in discussion and moving and saying and all these things. And it opened up this huge thing. All of a sudden, I was talking with God. Right? And I was listening to God. And God was speaking to me. All because I just changed a little thing in the way I pray. The way I pray. I took a breath. Let my mouth rest for a second. Which, if you know me, is very hard to do. But Jesus wants to engage with us. Because of the resurrection, Jesus is not limited to the words of the Bible. He's not limited to the stories that we hear about him, and especially the ones before his resurrection, because we know from looking at the Bible that he shows up after he's resurrected and does some things. We heard Rich say last week how Jesus was not in the tomb. He's not here. Then we encounter Jesus, and he shows up in this room where a bunch of his friends are at, and all the doors are locked, but Jesus comes through the walls. We encounter Jesus walking with his friends on a road or yelling at them from the shore while his friends are fishing. We see Jesus eat with his friends. He talks with them. He cooks food for them. He lets them touch his wounds to verify and affirm that it's really him. He instructs them. So we have lots of evidence showing and accounts showing that Jesus did stuff after his resurrection. There's still something about this. And if we look at one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it's Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, it says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So we have God speaking through the prophets in, in all these different ways. And if we look throughout the Old Testament, we can see some of these. We have a God showing up in a bush that's on fire, speaking to Moses. We have God talking through a donkey one time. We have God parting the Red Sea. We have the ark, both the ark that Noah built and the ark of the covenant where God's presence dwelt. All these things, signs, symbols, ways that God is speaking. We have prophets who tie themselves up, people who dance naked, 
We have Samson growing his hair out. All kinds of things as speaking these revelations to the world that God exists and is on the move. But all of those things ended. The bush stopped burning and speaking. The donkey stopped talking. The Red Sea closed up. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Nahum, Jonah, all the prophets died. And even if we can say the words that we have in Scripture carry on, the actual sound, the actual vibrations that came out of their person that resounded for a moment ceased. What we read in Hebrews is that God has also spoke another word. In Jesus. And that that word has not stopped. That word is alive and active. So that word is still resounding. It has not ended just as Christ himself has not ended. This word is alive, moving, active, and present in the entire universe. And that means that although we interact and engage with the stories about Jesus, that we interact and engage with the Bible, that Jesus is present with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can follow Jesus the person, not Jesus the idea or Jesus the story, but Jesus the person as he lives and moves today. We can master rules and dogma and theology. We can shape and change philosophical arguments, and we can even live them out. But we cannot have an intimate relationship that is both personal and, again, intimate with rules or dogma or truths. Eugene Peterson says this. We live the Christian life. We live, 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 live the Christian life out of a rich tradition of formation by resurrection. Jesus' resurrection provides the energy and conditions by which we walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The great psalm phrase of Psalm 116, verse 9. The resurrection of Jesus creates and then makes available the reality in which we are formed as new creatures in Christ by the Holy Spirit. The do-it-yourself, self-help culture of North America has so thoroughly permeated our imaginations that we ordinarily don't give attention to the biggest thing of all, resurrection. And the reason we don't is because resurrection is not something we can use or control or manipulate or improve on. It's interesting, isn't it, that the world has had very little success in commercializing Easter, turning it into a commodity as it has Christmas. If we can't, in our phrase, get a handle on it or use it, we soon lose interest. But resurrection is not available for our use. It's exclusively God's operation. You don't use people. It's not okay. You don't use people. We don't use resurrection. Interesting side note about Easter. At Christmas, uh, we have Christmas trees and decorations and candy canes. And and there's tons of things we use to symbolize and and communicate about Christmas. Um, And and we get Christmas cards from friends and family, and and they have pictures on them. And and, and that's, that's all cool thing I noticed about Easter this year, though, was uh, on Easter Day and, and, and on Monday, day after Easter, when I went on Facebook, all I saw were pictures of people gathered together, right? Angie and I were talking. We're like, did we miss something? Like, was there a memo that went out that said, this year, everyone take a picture of your family together? And I actually felt like, oh, we should get the family. We got to get dressed up again because everyone did it. It was just natural expression. And I thought, in a time where our world is so bent on hating each other. All I saw were gathered people, pictures, smiling, happy. And you know me, I hate Facebook. 
So then I had to be like, okay, God, you, you can use Facebook too, right? But what, what an example of resurrection, right? Lived out. People gathered together. I just found that uh, interesting. Because the thing is, 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 is we, can't, we can't change a person. Right? When Angie and I were in our uh, premarital counseling, we had a couple that co-officiated our, co-officiated our wedding named Jean and Lynn Breitenbach. And uh, Lynn, in one of our premarital sessions, talked about that. She said, you know, the person that you know and love today in seven years could be very different. And it may have very little to do with what you want them to be. In fact, what you want them to be may push them to be something else. One of my favorite radio stations, a DJ, uh, they were playing a song, this is several years ago, by a, a song by a band called Coldplay. And in, in the, the lyrics it says, I'll try to fix you. And the DJ came on after the song and says, man, I really like that song, but I got to tell you, I don't know about trying to fix someone. I've never seen it go well. I just would advise against it. Maybe you have a friend you've been trying to fix or change. Or maybe your spouse. Maybe you have a child that you're trying to change. How is that going? In one of my favorite movies of all time, Kung Fu Panda, the master named Shifu, who's a red panda. He's known for training some of the most uh, well-renowned martial artists in all the land. And then he encounters Poe, who's uh, uh, just a big old panda. And Shifu realizes, I can't train Poe the way I train everyone else. Poe doesn't fit sort of my curriculum and method of training. And so in order to train Poe, Shifu realizes he has to change. That's what happens when you encounter a person it's relationship that shifts and I realize oh hmm, I want that person to change but I can't do it so I'm going to change and so how does that affect how we interact with Jesus because if you're going to follow someone I think you should know who they are right that could be rule number one for you if you're going to follow someone know them knowing someone is really important um Another moment from when Angie and I were dating. I'm so glad I didn't tell her any of these stories I was going to tell beforehand. Uh, there's none that are really bad, though, today. So, uh, but um, today, right? Uh, so uh, I was living in a house in Bellingham with 11 other guys. The house is called The Home. It was a ministry house. Uh, and um, my, my best friend and I lived there. And uh, Angie and a friend of hers, uh, this friend of hers was dating my best friend. And so Angie and her friend decided well, we're going to plan like this sort of uh, adventure date. And uh, we're going to go over to Orcas Island and we're going to, you know, have fun on the San Juans and bike around and all this stuff. And so, but the way they planned it was is they had some other guys who lived in the house. Uh, they were going to come and kidnap my friend and I and take us to this car. And then they were going to be in the car and they were going to drive us off. And in the process of kidnapping, there was going to be uh, some like tying up and some blindfolding happening. Um, if you don't know me, um, I have issues with being confined like that. It really, really gets at me. Um, and I also have some abilities that uh, make that not a good position for the other people who are trying to do that. Um, and so Angie, knowing me and lovingly, told the guys who were sent to kidnap me, don't do that to Greg. Don't, don't try to blindfold him. Don't try to tie him up. Just show up and say, hey, Someone's got something planned for you. Can you just go along with it? Right? And even said it like that, like, can you just go along with it? Like, just don't make this more difficult. 
Uh, and that was super helpful because it allowed that whole day to be really fun instead of really not fun. And so knowing someone is really critical when you're in a relationship with them. And so when we start to get to know Jesus, what do we discover? Well, there's lots of things. We learn that Jesus is Lord of all. He's the, the king of God's kingdom, that he is the one by whom and through whom all things were created. And there's this whole big long list of things we can go through. And there's two that I want to look at today. The first we find in John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here, we see God send this invitation through his Son, Jesus, who is the exact representation of God's being, come into the world and say, I'm here for you. I'm here to love you. I'm sending this out to invite all of you into relationship with me. And so Jesus, what we see is the, the sort of the crux of all this, that he is that representation. He is that invitation, that universal call to everyone, which is fantastic. That helps us to know every single person God desires to be in relationship with, and that's through Jesus. Now, if we look in Mark 3, 13 through 15, we encounter this verse. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. In this, we discover that within that universal call to everyone, there's also an individual call. I think this is the template for how God calls people, that Jesus calls those he wanted. Who are the ones he wanted? In this verse, it's the 12. But in John 3.16, we realize that it's everyone, and there's an individual call for every single person within that, that we can know and be known by the God of the universe. Something personal about that. And right now, our world desperately needs that. Each individual person needs to know that there's a place they belong where it's not just, oh yeah, you're part of humanity and that's great, but it's your part of humanity and you're a specific, important part of it because you're created and loved by God. The other day, I learned that uh, the Amazon Echo device that I have has a bunch of AI development tools in it that are created by a bunch of universities and research groups that are trying to develop. It's the, this device's AI, uh, artificial intelligence. And um, I learned about it, and the way you activate it is you say Echo or whatever your device is named that you can use. Uh, I want to chat. And so Echo started to chat with me and asked, hey, so what movies do you like? And I said, oh, I like this movie. And it was like, oh, I haven't seen that movie, but I've heard about it. Sounds interesting. Have you heard about this movie? It's kind of like that movie. And it was like, oh, it's kind of like a conversation. It wasn't too creepy yet, a little creepy. But uh, what got me, though, that was really creepy was at one point it said something, and I laughed, and the echo said, oh, it's so good that you're laughing. I really like it when I make you laugh. Right, right, right. And so I said, Echo, stop, right? This is now done. Because for me, that had crossed a line where this machine is now telling me, like, I enjoy not giving you this and facilitating in you this kind of response. I was really uncomfortable with that. But I think the reason why we're creating devices that do this is because we're not finding it with each other and we're not finding it with God. Right? That we're sitting there, we're trying to interact with the machine because maybe the machine I can... Protect, it can kind of protect. It's only going to interact. It's going to learn what I like, and it's going to talk to me about the things that I like. It's going to cater to me. And so it's this false intimacy. But we desire to know and to be known, 
to have a space and some people that we can belong to no matter what. And don't get me wrong, it's not a space for people that's going to allow us to do whatever we want. But that when we cross a line, is there a space and a people where we can belong that says, oh, you crossed that line and we're going to be here for you. Jesus says things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's Jesus. That's the person of Jesus. And so it's a personal call, but it's also a call to intimacy. To know and to be known. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, This call to Christ initiates the most intimate allegiance imaginable. An allegiance that openly supersedes all other relationships. If we go back to that verse in... uh, when Jesus is calling the disciples, it says, Jesus calls that they, and I put a slash we in my notes, that they, we might be with him. In relationship, with, sharing life. One of the challenges that Israel faced was making uh, the mistake of putting the law and obeying the rules above the relationship. And it's easy to do. We have a verse in the New Testament where Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So don't, let's not look at Israel and be like, oh, they just didn't get it. They so didn't get it, right? It's easy for us to say, oh, Jesus says if we, if we love him, we'll obey his commands. So that makes obeying his commands the most important thing. But many in Israel got to a point where the love was lost. It's like a marriage that's sort of now just doing all the right things in terms of putting on a good show. So everyone thinks that it's really intact, but there's no love in it. When it comes about the rules or just the theology or the dogma, then it's no longer about the person. And so what does God do when his people get this way? He sends a person. He sends his son, someone to speak face to face with the leaders and the people who are so caught up in this. When we were going through Lent, we encountered a group that was like this. Jesus is invited to eat with some Pharisees at this Pharisee's house. Um, and I'll just read the scripture. It's a better way to do it. Uh, Luke 14, 1 through 6. One Sabbath, uh, a note about the Sabbath, is the Sabbath is one of the most beautiful and, and also one of the most rule-oriented things uh, in, in Israel's history, that, that breaking the Sabbath was punishable by death. And so it's super important to know what to do on the Sabbath. And so one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Experts of the law, ones who hold the law, is it lawful for me to do this or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, He healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Because they were trapped. They were trapped by their desire to uphold the law, and they could feel like, Ah, there's part of me pulling that says, I gotta love this person. I gotta, we can heal them. We can pull them out. So there was a sense with the Pharisees like this, they were stuck in a spot. This is one of the things that Rich talked about last week, being locked up. And so the Pharisees and much of Israel's gotten off of track and locked up by the rules, which are very important. Those rules are there to actually liberate and provide some freedom for us. But when we make them the main thing 
and not God, not the relationship, then we get off track. And so God intervenes. And again, he sends a person, personal, intimate, Jesus, to come and get things back on track. Because love your enemies, if it's just written on paper, if it's just a rule, is really different than when I get to not only see Jesus do it, but I've received that from Jesus. That Jesus saw me as an enemy, as part of humanity that has turned away, all have fallen short of the glory of God. That Jesus sees me as an enemy, loves me. Right? So now I've not only seen it as a spectator on the outside, I've been a participant in it and received it from Jesus. But if it's just written on paper, it's so different. This is how we know about reconciliation, because Jesus did it. This is how when we come to a verse like Isaiah 118, where it says, God says to his people, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The language here, come now, let us reason together, is of two people sitting at a table. Come, I'm going to sit on one side, you sit on the other side. Bring all your arguments, bring whatever you have. I'm going to sit at the table and give you a spot to have a voice, and together we're going to reason this out. And in that, at the end of it, there's confidence on God's part. If you can come and engage with me, a person, then your sins, though they're like scarlet, will be white as snow. You can argue with a person. You can reason together with a person. You can speak to a person. You can say, I don't understand you. You can say that you're angry to them. You can say that you adore them. You can say, I absolutely love you. You can say, I need space. Or you can say, I can't live another moment without you. And everything in between all of those. But we often, too often, treat God as if God is some giant statue in space that we have this bizarre relationship of kind of coaxing and manipulating into doing some things for us. When instead we have an invitation to know and be known by the God of the universe who says, come sit at the table with me. Not stay below me. Come sit at the table with me. And this impacts every single thing we do. From the seemingly huge world-shaking things to the very simple day-to-day -day things. Rachel Held Evans has a great example of this that she shares. And she's talking about marriage, but I think it applies to a lot of things. What makes our marriage holy, what makes it set apart and sacramental, isn't the marriage certificate filed away in the basement or the degree to which we follow a list of rules and roles. It's the way God shows up, presence uh, shows up in those everyday moments, loading the dishwasher, sharing a joke, hosting a meal, enduring an illness, working through a disagreement. So it's the way God shows up in everyday moments and gives us the chance to notice, to pay attention to the divine. It's the way the God of resurrection makes all things new. The God of resurrection makes all things new because the God of resurrection shows up in Jesus, a person. And that's what changes it. That's what makes it different. That's what brings transformation and new life. I want to invite the worship team and the prayer team up uh, to the front, please, and we're going to start winding into conclusion here. Um, in a minute, I'm going to have a couple of questions that I'm going to put up on the screen. And uh, on your connection cards, uh, if you could take a moment to answer those questions, the worship team is going to play some instrumental music, and that'll give you a moment to reflect and answer these questions. Um, but I do want to uh, 
say too. And the prayer team's going to be up here, so if you want prayer for anything, uh, please come up and get that. But I, I want to just put this out there that um, if this is the first time you've ever heard this kind of talk about, I mean, maybe you've heard about Jesus being resurrected and, and this kind of stuff, but maybe it's the first time you've heard this idea of really being able to engage with him as a person who's alive today. Um, that's, that's Jesus just talking to you. Right? If that's stirring in your soul and your person, that's just Jesus inviting you. And so I want to invite you to respond to that. And you can come and talk to me, or you can come up and be prayed for, write it on the connection card, whatever. And we, will, uh, we would love to, to, to help you in that process. Um, the, the questions that I have uh, are these. The first one, do you feel like you interact with the person of Jesus more or the story and theology of Jesus more? Right? And you might say, I don't even know. Right? You can write that down or you can write one or the other. It doesn't matter. Uh, the second question, imagine Jesus sitting with you in a favorite place of yours. Again, it could be the beach. Mine is on the, the wet, rocky shore of Gomvek, Norway. Um, and, and I'm there and I'm sitting with Jesus. And, and what is he talking to you about? Right? I remember a, a class that Eugene Peterson uh, taught on prayer, and one of the assignments he gave was to write a paper that was a, a, a dialogue of the discussion between Jesus and Moses and Elijah at the Transfiguration. Right? What did they talk about? I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think you can write about that. And he was like, well, if you want a grade, you're going to write about it. Uh, so, right, so I found a way. Uh, you know, it's, it's possible to do that. Um, but, but there's another example of Jesus uh, sitting with his friends after he's been, uh, he's been resurrected. His friends are out fishing. He calls to them. They, they come and meet him on the shore, and he's, he's cooking fish for them. And, and the, the language is, come and have breakfast, right? And I always, it's one of my favorite spots in Scripture because it feels like this, slow down, sit with Jesus on the beach, and have breakfast. And, and, and we get some insight into what they talked about, but there's other moments in there, I'm sure, and I'm always like, Man, what did they talk about over breakfast? And so what, what things might Jesus say to you? And then uh, lastly, what is one thing you can do to engage with Jesus as a person? It might be that exercise we just listed as, uh, as question number two. But if there's something else you can think of, go ahead and write that down. Um, and I do want to let you know, um, if you put those in the wood boxes, it's one, it's a great way for us to pray with you about the things that you're, you're pondering. But it is a way for us to hear how the Holy Spirit is moving in our group. Um, and so please, uh, please write those down and, and get those to us. It's, it's, I think it's critical to how we move as a church. So uh, let me pray, and then you'll have some time to answer those questions. Jesus, I give you great thanks. I give you great thanks that we follow you as a person, that we are invited into intimacy in a personal way with the living God. Lord, that we get to experience that with you. Yeah, Lord, I don't even want to say anymore. Uh, so, ask that you come and be with us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.